welcome to Atari Bytes, the show where we take a bite out of the story that may or may not lie within a classic Atari 2600 game, and see if that story bites us back. My name is Bill, I'm your host. This is episode 289. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, everybody. Hey, did you notice on the fly there I, I sort of changed up the uh, little opener? It has occurred to me for a long time that my opener, my standard line about... Uh, how we take a bite out of the story within a classic Atari 2600 game, see if that story bites us back, uh, is not exactly accurate. If you've been listening to the show, the story that you're going to hear later in the episode is not really fan fiction. I'm not writing, uh, you know, Pac-Man fanfic. Something about the game, it could just even be the title, something about the concept of the game, something within the game, will tingle a thing in my brain and a story will come out that usually doesn't really have anything to do with the game itself. So, as I was launching the show, launching the episode today, uh, I was motivated to restate my opening a little bit. Who knows? Next episode, I may be back to the original uh, opener, or I may have something else to say. You never know. So tune in for that. I hope everyone's doing well. We are rapidly approaching Halloween. If it's your favorite holiday of the year, and I know for a lot of you it probably is, let me know. I would bet some of you out there will be uh, costuming. Is it cosplay if you're doing uh, dressing up for Halloween? Or is it just putting on a costume? I don't know. But I'm guessing some of you will be doing video game-themed costumes if you're inclined to uh, costume yourself for a holiday. And you know, go ahead and give us a shout-out. Send us a picture. Hit me up on social medias. Instagram. You know, particularly Instagram. I, I kind of neglect the Instagram a little bit. And uh, I need to be better about that, and I will I will share your pictures. But you can also tweet at me at Atari Bytes, or find the Atari Bytes page on Facebook, and I will share your photos. What else is going on? It is, yeah, I said it's rapidly approaching Halloween. I guess we're really only still in September, but never too early to think about your costume. Before we get into the show proper, I want to give a shout out to Dave and Greg over at Champa and Klein, the Airwolf Years podcast I've mentioned many times on this show because I'm such a fan. They are two friends who share a love of 80s television. That's their tagline. And uh, they have different iterations of their podcast where they watch the entire run of a classic 80s TV show. Lately, they've been doing Airwolf. I think they're in season two right now. I was uh, a guest on there once before, and I was just recently a guest on there again. I, I, they must have thought I screwed up the first time and decided to give me another shot. So uh, I was happy to be back there. It is the episode, as I'm recording this, it hasn't come out yet, but I believe it's the episode being released on September 12th. I don't know what the episode title is yet, because like I said, it hasn't come out yet as I'm recording this. I am going to quickly look at something here. It's uh, season two, episode 15 of the Airwolf show. They don't really number their podcast episodes, but like I said, it's the episode that, uh, by the time you're hearing this, did come out, scheduled to come out on September 13th. So look for that. Check out that podcast, uh, that episode in particular, of course, if you want to hear more of me, and I, I know you do, or if you're just a fan of 80s TV, go check it out. These guys are fun to listen to. Uh, we had a good time. Uh, hopefully, I didn't screw up too badly, and they will invite me back. What else? Oh, we got a little feedback. Uh, since the last episode. That's always cool. I put up a post when episode 288, Space Shuttle, A Journey into Space, came out on the Facebook page. 
I said, Lance, I'm saying that I feel like I didn't say at the top of this episode that this is episode 289. If I did, well, I'm reminding you. If I didn't, uh, you're hearing now for the first time, this is episode 289. Uh, but on my post for episode 288, Bob Waisaki, hi Bob, commented, bought Space Shuttle new back in the day. It was interesting to play and uh, play it a couple of times as a novelty, but to me it's not a game that is enjoyable long term. I just recently became aware of the existence of Avalon Hill's Shuttle Orbiter. Watching video of gameplay, it looks to be about equal, about equal amount of, quote, fun as Space Shuttle. Thanks for the comment, Bob. I think I kind of agree with you. Space Shuttle, uh, well, a very, uh, well, well, technically a pretty remarkable achievement for the technology of the time. There's not a whole lot of gameplay involved. It, it was you could tell from the tone of my comments in the episode, it was not really all that fun, at least not to me. As I also noted, I'm not really a, a flight simulator guy, so it was probably, the concept was probably lost on me anyway. I don't really know anything about Avalon Hill's shuttle orbiter. If anyone else out there listening does, share your comments about that game. Why not? Thanks for the comment, Bob. What else? Oh, late last night I was watching TV, and I saw an ad for a new streaming, uh, a new show on the streaming service Peacock, and it, it's called Frogger, which of course when I heard that caught my attention. It is a reality, quote unquote, show in its first season. There's three episodes so far. Here's the description on PeacockTV.com. A worldwide phenomenon since its, since its introduction by Konami in 1981, Frogger has remained one of the most classic and beloved video game franchises of all time with a library spanning more than 30 titles across various platforms. The show Frogger brings to life this popular franchise and supersizes it on an epic course! Exclamation point. Audiences and contestants alike will be transported into a wild, whimsical Frogger world filled with all the simple but challenging elements of the mega-hit from Konami. Watch for free. So I, I have not watched for free, or any other manner. From the ad, it appears to be American Ninja Warrior but with Frogger-themed obstacles. It, it's a big soundstage full of primary color cars and you know, fake cars and fake uh, water with logs to jump over and all this and that. And then they got two guys in an announcer's booth commenting on the action. It's basically American Ninja Warrior with a Frogger theme. I'm probably not going to watch this show. This kind of thing doesn't really appeal to me all that much. Although, to be fair... American Ninja Warrior is frequently on in my house. Here's what tends to happen. Here's a peek into my world. I'm going to throw my wife under the bus here. She's not listening to this. Doesn't matter. Um, uh, she grew up in a household where you routinely watch the, uh, you watch the late night local news until the weather guy is done, and then you go to bed. And that local news was always, for that household, NBC, uh, the local NBC affiliate. And the, so my wife has carried that on into her life. And so pretty much in the evenings... NBC is the channel that's on. Now, over the years, that has changed a little bit with, you know, cable and streaming services and all that. So sometimes what's on is like the Food Network or home improvement shows or the only particular type of TV that my wife really gets excited about, any sort of ghost hunting show. She doesn't care anything about scripted television, which makes me sad because I prefer scripted television. She doesn't, I mean, she likes movies, but not, she's not a rabid movie fan. Um, she likes the game show network, Buzzer, I guess, actually. Buzzer and uh, food shows and particularly ghost shows. But 
if none of those things are on, I can bet you it's going to be NBC. So whatever runs on NBC on a given night, that's probably what's on, at least in the background, when the family's doing other stuff. So frequently what happens is local news, Wheel of Fortune, American Ninja Warrior, whatever night that's on. So I've watched plenty of that. I've gotten my fill of this kind of show. Frogger, I love Frogger the game. When I was a kid, I watched the Frogger cartoon show, because of course I did. I don't remember if it was any good or not. Probably not. I have no desire to see pseudo-athletes, and I say that recognizing that they're all in better shape than me, but, you know, they're running around on a Frogger soundstage. I have no desire to watch that. But, having said that, here is my request, my opening, my offer, whatever, to you all. If somebody would like to watch these Frogger uh, reality TV episodes and send an mp3 to me with you know a couple minutes summary of the action send me an mp3 file at ataribytes at gmail.com sorry i think it's ataribytes2016 at gmail.com i'll run them on the show i'm not going to watch frogger i'm not going to curate a review segment of the show but if anyone would like to share a summary of the action with us i will happily play it because it is a thing in the atari universe that's not games, and I do things on this show that are not games, right? I have a whole, se- whole segment about stories, so I will do that if you want to send it to me. So, go for it. Speaking of going for it... Question! What does Jason say? He says stuff! What does Jason say? Lots of stuff! What does Jason say? Or maybe a little stuff! What does Jason say? He says stuff! So, periodically, Jason will contact me and ask what the next game we're going to do on the show is. And when I told him, Minds of Minos, his first response? Kinky. Three thoughts, he said. One, you must have the game on an emulator. Correct, I do. Two, the same company that made Room of Doom a superior game, which I'm not familiar with. Three, Wizard of War clone. We did Wizard of War on the podcast a long time ago, I think. And then... Even though he said three thoughts, he added a fourth, but I'm going to let it go because it is absolutely correct. Number four, bug rules. He's not done with Room of Doom, though. Room of Doom is so awesome, we should do that next. Again, I'm not familiar with Room of Doom. I will uh, file that suggestion in my mind, and perhaps I will do that eventually. And now I present Your Move by Jason Edward Schiffman. Welcome to Minos, a living hell that no human could possibly endure. However, we are rich with minerals that can be easily mined by myself and other cybernetic miners. The work is never-ending and grueling by human standards, which fortunately doesn't apply to me. My artificial mind is always at full speed and, much like my alloy frame, never needs a rest. Never stop working, never interrupt the mineral flow. It's my only directive, at least when times are good. This would be the day that times were no longer good. Actually, they became terrible, and a set of survival directives would kick in and turn me into a machine of war. A strange sort of heavily armed alien force has occupied the mines, and within minutes every single cybernetic miner was reduced to a pile of ash and broken parts. Directive 16 has kicked in. My thoughts were no longer about mining and production. My thoughts were actually very focused. Eliminate the alien threat, rebuild the robots, restore the integrity of the mine. Within moments, my physical form shifted from a bulky miner to a stealthy death dealer and a series of timed explosives appear on my tool belt. Why am I sharing this with you? Because you're going to guide me. 
The scientist who built me also linked me to your Atari game system using complex interdimensional link. You thought you were going to play an antiquated game. Not exactly. You're going to be a hero in a world that is too far away for you to ever see. William Pepper is one of the good aliens who built the miners and the mine itself. He also has another one of our people disguised as a dog that goes by the name of Bug. Don't let the jangling collar and the butt sniffing fool you. Bug is actually one of our elders, and despite his furry face, he has a universe of knowledge. These two aliens have made themselves at home with the humans. They even have a podcast that is designed to steer modern audiences to the minds of Minos. At first, it would appear a, a mindless pursuit of nostalgia, but in reality, it's to keep a fresh supply of future pilots. Rebuild the robot army. Use the explosives and outsmart the alien scum. Don't shut down your, your Atari before the battle is won. My life and the lives of the miners depend on you. It's now your move. Wow. I am honored to be a featured character in your story, Jason. And so is Bug. Although I feel compelled to point out yet again, Bug is a girl, not a boy. Yeah, good story. Thank you. I don't have a whole lot of thoughts other than that. As always, if anyone has thoughts about uh, Jason's story or my story later, let me know. Jason contacted me again later. He always has things to share with me. He wrote, Dear Atari Bites, congratulations on yet another stupendous journey into dark underbelly of classic gaming, namely the forbidden realm known as Atari 2600. And Space Shuttle was a flaming piece of crap, but you got to admit it had moxie. Let's face it, the 2600 wasn't exactly a powerhouse. Wow, you take that back, Jason. The Atari 2600 is the finest piece of technology ever. This episode brought to you by Atari 2600. It was barely capable of putting managing of managing more than a single sprite, so the concept of attempting to simulate a space shuttle with an Atari 2600 is sort of like building a rocket yourself and attempting to, dis- to disprove the round ball theory. Hey, wait, that was my, pre- my predeceased predecessor. Rest in peace, Mike. Speaking of deceased, uh, Mr. Bertram Schiffman passed away since the last show. He was disabled and lived in my house for the six years after his second wife passed away. Mr. Schiffman was not a fan of Atari Bytes because he wouldn't know an Atari, a podcast, or anything much beyond a basic TV remote. He should still be remembered, uh, should still be mentioned, because he is responsible for the creation of Jason Says Stuff by creating Jason. I was his only child, but I wish I had a sister so she could develop a love of jangling bug collars and esoteric game knowledge and occasionally even fill my spot. Perhaps she does on another version of Earth. My only complaint, I knew you were waiting for it, is the questioning of why the shuttle was backwards in the last story. Hmm, I don't remember this, Jason. Why? Because when I answer these call-outs, the results are always the same. William Pepper talking, chipper voice, but mellow and funky. Jason says something about the shuttle being backwards. I don't remember mentioning that. That's not an invitation to remind me. I think a great show idea would be if I imitated William Pepper, and William Pepper imitated me. And perhaps we could do this while dressed like giant puppets. Well, first of all, Jason, uh, sorry for your loss. I, I know that must be difficult, and uh, hopefully things are okay where you're at. Secondly, as far as me, mellow and funky, that's what they used to call me in college. Hey, here comes mellow and funky. As far as uh, imitating each other, I, I have a hard enough time being me. I don't want to uh, try and pretend to be somebody else. And as always, uh, no, Jason, we're not doing the puppets. All right. On that note, we'll move on to the rest of this. Mellow and funky episode. Question! What does Jason say? He says stuff! What does Jason say? Lots of stuff! What does Jason say? Or maybe a little stuff! What does Jason say? He says stuff!
this week's game is Minds of Minos from Comavid. Comavid? I don't know. 1982. This game was programmed by Dr. Erwin Gaines. I mention that only because the doctor part sort of stuck out. In this game, we're told, something terrible has happened in the maze like in the maze-like Mines of Minos. The smoothly running robot operation has been interrupted by an invasion of monstrous alien life forms. Aliens stalk the corridors of the mine, only a single robot survives to battle them. Desperately, he struggles to find and assemble pieces of his fellow robots scattered around the mine while avoiding the pursuing aliens. If he can assemble a large enough robot army, he can battle the aliens to fight his way down to deeper levels of the mine and even destroy the alien command center at the lowest level. But the aliens catch him he is doomed, and his only weapon against them is, is his stock of time bombs. Can you avoid the monsters and assemble enough robots to expel the alien invaders from the mines of Minos? Find out in the latest video challenge from Kamavid. So we're using the joystick for this. Put the game in, turn it on, select the game skill level. Difficulty switches are called skill switches on the Sears Telegames, in case you were wondering. For a standard game, set both difficulty switches to B, half-speed monsters, Set the right difficulty switch to A for half-speed robot. Set left difficulty switch to A. Uh, okay, that's for the half-speed robot. I did not pay any attention to the difficulty switches on my console. I don't know what I was set at. Select one of the 12 game variations. Hold the joystick with the red button in the upper left. I swear to you, I'm putting that on a t-shirt someday. Start the game by pressing, wait for it, the reset switch. So the idea is you're moving through this maze, through the mines, killing monsters with time bombs. Push the joystick button to drop a bomb. Only one bomb can be dropped at a time. You elude the monsters by using the tunnels at the left and right side of the mine. Change mine levels by holding down the joystick button when moving through a tunnel. Collect robot parts to build spare robots. Carry a part to the center of either the top or bottom row of any level of the mine. There it is collected and added to your complement of spare robots. It took me a long time to figure out where exactly to drop the robot parts. There's no little sign, there's no fan, well, there is fanfare, I guess. The, the, the music changes a little bit when you get there, and, and your little square piece that you were holding just disappears. Um, I guess it does appear then at the top of the screen, but there's no, like, uh, little uh, collection, collected pile of robot parts at the bottom of the screen or anything. It, it, this actually is one of my favorite aspects of the game. You are literally building the parts of your own extra lives. You start the game with one life, and the only way you get more is if you collect all these robot parts and build another robot, another life. I do kind of like that. It's kind of fun. Don't move to a new level too quickly. Increase your power level by scoring points. If power level is less than mine level, it takes more than one bomb to kill a monster. Uh, win the game by destroying the three stationary monsters in the command center on level 5. A stationary monster is destroyed when rammed by your robot. You can safely run over a half-dead or half-alive monster. A dying monster is safe to run over when the sound of the explosion has stopped. Some monsters can move through walls. One monster can steal a spare robot from you. You can see the robot jumping inside the monster. Kill the monster to regain your spare robot. Well, that's kind of a jerk move. Ramming a command center monster kills the robot being used. Try to have at least two spare robots before attacking the command center. I played this game for a little bit, but I was never in any danger of winning this game. There are two player games. It's the left and right joystick controllers, obviously. Uh, push the button, on the, uh, the button on the right joystick, and that changes which monster is under the player's control. The other two monsters will pursue the robot on their own. Wait, what? 
The left joystick controls the robot, and the right joystick controls one of the monsters in the two-player games. Hmm. Pushing the button on the right joystick changes which monsters under the player's control. The other two monsters will pursue the robot on their own. The monster being controlled by the joystick is seen as darker in color. If the robot runs into the monster, the monster is destroyed instead of the robot. But the robot runs into either of the two monsters under their control, he is destroyed as usual. Okay, I gotta think about that for a little bit. I'm a podcaster who has no friends, so I have not played the two-player version. Also, I think I keep saying robot a lot instead of robot, which is making me feel like an old man. But what are you going to do? Scoring. Point values range anywhere from 20 points for destroying a monster up to 1,000 points, or sorry, up to 70 points for depositing the robot part. Every 1,000 points scored up to 4,000 total raises your power level by one unit. Game variations. There are 12 of them. Game 1, which is what I played, is the standard game. Takes three robot pieces to complete a new robot, and the flood both slows you down and keeps you from dropping a bomb. There are variations on that all the way up to game 11. The maze is invisible except when you blow up a monster. Three robot pieces complete a robot, and you can drop a bomb in the flood. Between there and that, between the first level and the le- in game 11, there are variations in how many robot parts you need to build a robot, how, how much of a barrier the flood is, stuff like that. The end of the manual, we're told a little bit about Comavid. Comavid is a different kind of game company formed by a group of professionals from computing and the physical sciences. We believe that our experience outside the consumer electronic market will aid us in developing interesting products for our customers. New electronic products are like presents. Sometimes it's nice to get what you want, and other times a surprise is welcome. By combining our own ideas and reactions of our customers, we hope to create some pleasantly surprising new products. To help us do this, we would like both your reaction to this to this game and any suggestions you would care to pass along for new games or other new computer-based consumer products. We will read everything you send to the address below and answer as often as we can. Unless you require, unless you request otherwise, we will include you in our list for mailings of advanced information on our new re- releases. The next time you are shopping for fun and games, remember to look for Comavid. Well, that's nice. I'm not rich or famous. I'm not a movie star, rock icon, first responder, nurse, doctor, or anybody else whom we all look up to. I'm just a schnook. Just like Bill, I love to tell stories. Unlike Bill, though, I'm not creative enough to write my own, so I just tell my own real-life stories in this book-read-by-the-author-style podcast all about life lessons growing up and every episode a segment about music music that i love artists that i admire and sometimes even my own music you can find autobiography of a schnook on all your favorite podcast suppliers or you can go to schnookpodcast.com that's s-c-h-n-o-o-k podcast.com and I firmly believe the good goes around, and I sincerely hope that Autobiography of a Schnook proves to be some good that goes around your way. Comavid released six games between 1981 and 1983, plus a programming tool for the console. The company was founded by Dr. Erwin Gaines, Dr. John Bronstein, and Dr. Joseph Beale, under the name Computer Magic Video, which was shortened to Comavid. Uh, shortened to C-O-M space, capital M-A space, capital V-I-D, or all one word, Comavid, based in Aurora, Illinois. Is that where Wayne and Darth were? 
know the uh, the conceit of Wayne and Darth is that they were doing a uh, Wayne's World local cable access TV show. Wasn't it Aurora, Illinois? Anyway, so the company was founded in 1981 by these three people with Doctor in their title. In addition to developing its own titles, Comavid provided or reported the arcade game Venture to the 2600 for Coleco. These are the games they created or released. Cakewalk, which is similar to Tapper in gameplay, according to Wikipedia. Cosmic Swarm, Minds of Minos, Room of Doom, and Stronghold, none of which I've heard of. Except Minds of Minos, of course, and Room of Doom because Jason says that it's infinitely better. Well, he said it was better anyway. Magic Card is an Atari 2600 programming tool on a cartridge that originally came with a 100-page manual and was only available via mail order. According to Comavid co-owner Games, 50 to 100 Magic Card cartridges were produced. Video Life is a version of the cellular automaton known as Conway's Game of Life for the 2600. Video Life was only available through a special mail order offered to owners of Comavid's Magic Card. Fewer than 20 cartridges of Video Life were made. A 2003 report in the Chicago Reader by Jeffrey Felschman estimates the cartridges would sell for as much as $3,000 at the time. Holy crap. They also apparently had some unreleased prototypes, something called Frog Demo, Mission Omega, Rush Hour, and Underworld. Atari Protoss describes Minds and Minos thusly. Take one part Pac-Man and one part Rally X, sprinkle with a dash of Thunderground, mix well, bake at 350 for three hours, and you get Minds of Minos. An interesting maze game. One of the best things about the game is its unique and non-linear gameplay, which really adds a lot of replay to a relatively simple game. They point out the thing that I wondered. The conceit of the game is that you are building your own extra lives, but Protoss folks point out, do robots have lives? While the graphics won't win any awards, Minds of Minos gameplay is addictive and solid. Aside from a few control issues, it's easy to get hung up on the mine walls. Minds of Minos is an excellent addition to the 2600 library. It's a shame that unique games like this got lost in the sea of Me Too games that flooded the 2600 market. The Dr. Spud's Reviews Things blog uh, that you can find on Atari Age from 2019 says that they really like the box art, that the game is unique and fun. Not graphically impressive, but Comavid games rarely are, and they tend to make it up with fun and interesting gameplay. If you just blitz the game and go straight to level 5 immediately, you'll find that you are far outclassed and your bombs are ineffective. Your power level isn't high enough. I sort of glossed over that, but one of the interesting things here is that you don't have to complete a certain number of things to proceed from one level to another. You can just decide at some point, I'm done with this level, and go to the next one, and they make a good point. If you rush too quick, you might might get stomped on in the later levels. Uh, The reviewer says, I've never beaten the game, I've never even gotten close, but I think that this would be an excellent game to spend a lazy afternoon beating. There are several helpful difficulty variations. I personally recommend either games 5 or 7 for a slightly easier trip. Minds of Minos is not a cheap game, like most Comavid games. There are currently no boxed NTSC copies, but if you want the game loose, you're looking at $60 for the cheapest copy, and $130 for the most expensive one. This was in 2019. I can't really justify spending $60 on one, but I'd recommend you get a Harmony cart or an Uno cart and just play it using one of those. Woodrain Wonderland, which is still one of my favorite Atari-themed website names ever. You know, after Atari Bytes, of course. They say, on startup, Minds of Minos did not make much of an impression. There's a lobster-like robot protagonist, you're right, it does kind of look like a lobster. Uh, surrounded by fairly standard Atari maze graphics. It's definitely not candy for the eyes or ears, and what's with this only one life crap? 
but once it gets cooking, man, it's a keeper. Despite its humble appearance, Minds of Minos has an epic quality and something all too rare in this era of video games, an actual way to win the game beyond piling up points. It features moments of legitimate suspense and a surprising amount of strategy. For example, it's recommended that you build at least two robots before proceeding to the second level. Otherwise, it will take twice the number of mines to kill the stronger aliens on that level. At the same time, you have to be careful not to spend too much time on any given level or else you risk facing faster and meaner aliens. And then there's the flooding. The longer you take, the more the top part of the screen fills with water. You can't plant mines in water, at least on the default variation. The good news is that the game has enough variations that it will always be as difficult as you need it to be. The game has faults, its controls could be better. Much like other maze games for the 2600, you have to plan your cornering in advance or else you can easily get hung up in a doorway. I also found the mechanic for advancing to new levels a little difficult, but ultimately they end up giving it a grade of B. Similarly, Retroist uh, has sim similar comments to these other reviews, ultimately giving it a grade of 4 out of 5. The only flaw I found was the control system, which can be frustrating and prevent full enjoyment of the game at every level. And then, like I said, grade of uh, 4 out of 5. All right. Well, after the break, we mine the depths of Mines of Minos. In an effort to mine the depths of our internal selves, we're going deep, man. What's mine is mines, and what's yours is also mines. Mines of Minos to be specific. That's right, we're headed back to ancient Greece where there are robots and time bombs and all that stuff we learned about in ancient Greek mythology. Remember? Must have slept through that part. So we're gonna play Minds of Minos as soon as I push the button to tell it to do that. Alright, there's my robot. I'm in a maze. Did I say robot? It sounded like robot. Sorry, I'm not an old man really. Here I go. Looks like a typical maze game, right? I guess that's the Minos part. The Minotaur, Minotaur and the maze and all that. Beyond that, not a whole lot of Greek mythology going on here. That little orange, that little orange square, red, reddish orange, is a piece of the robot. The game's very excited that I found that. I have to take it back all the way down. I like the look of the robot. Take it all the way back down here. There's no like sign or anything. That was the noise of me dropping the robot part. I like the aspect of this game that you're basically building all of your own extra lives by building the robots. There, I dropped a time bomb, destroyed him. I kind of like the time bombs. Um, drop them and run away versus just the, you know, constantly pushing the button and shooting kind of thing. It's a nice change of pace. I just killed myself. We'll try that again. Alright. So, I mean, there's not a whole lot to look at. The robots are kind of cool. The maze is a basic, basic early 80s Atari maze. It's a little bit less Pac-Man than I expected, but it's a lot like Pac-Man, except for the building your own lives thing. Oh, this is bad, and I killed myself again. 
I have never successfully in the little bit that I've played this game built a robot, built an extra life, because I've only played this little bit today. But I suspect there's not a whole lot to see there other than the fact that you have an extra life. Oh, you know, one thing I do want to show you. I'm going to try this once more. See if I can last a little bit longer. Uh, one thing you get in this maze game you don't get in Pac-Man is slowly the game board floods from the top of the screen, um, shrinking the area that you have to play in. So you don't want to screw around for too long. Like I said, I've never gotten that far. So it hasn't been that much of a worry, but I can show you what the flooding looks like once it actually starts flooding. But first I have to deliver this robot part. This may take longer than I expected. What do you think so far, Henry? Eh. Henry's never before seen this game until just now when he walked in to uh, run the camera. Don't you dare. Ah. get one or two robot parts placed, then the monsters start coming out. So you gotta deal with them as well as the robots. You should be seeing them shortly. Sometimes I accidentally walk into the uh, the thing on the side that lets you pop out on the other side, and it confuses me for a moment. Oh, there's the flood, that blue line at the top, that's water. Dang it. But that's the flood. It slowly moves down the screen as you're going, so you want to hurry up and get your three robot parts and get out of there. Once you do that, then you can move on to level two. Level two is pretty much the same, except uh, you need six robot parts instead of three. Uh, I didn't point it out, but there's the score at the top of the screen tells you how many lives you have, one, and what level you're on, just one, and that is very basically Minds of Minos from the mind of Plato, let's say. And for more of a ancient Greek philosophy discussion, back to you in the studio. Hey everyone, this is Michael, one of the hosts of the Atari XEGS Cart by Cart podcast. Do you like Atari? Of course you do. What about the 8-bit computer line? It was one of the best. Well, how about you consider joining Bill, David, Kieran, and myself as we review the cartridge-based games for Atari's 8-bit computer line. We also review budget games, which are mostly released only in the UK. But that's not all. We also dig up game history, share personal experiences, and perform questionable comedy. You'll get all of that, and for free, just by listening to us on either iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Player FM, or from our website at xegs8bit.com. That's x-e-g-s, the number 8, bit.com. 
And when you're done listening, please send us your hate mail because we really need the feedback so we know someone is tuning in. Hey, let's take a break from you listening to me talk so that you can listen to me talk. Hell's Serial, Very Short Stories Fortified with Essential Syllables is the new short story collection from, well, me. Every box, or book, is chock full of bite-sized stories in every genre from sci-fi to fantasy to literary fiction to cheesy spy stories and everything in between. Zombies in Love, Twisted Car Races, and the aforementioned Devilish Breakfast Food are just some of the tasty bites you'll find. Toy surprises? You bet. How about social commentary and the meaning of life? Beats a decoder ring any day. With both funny stuff and drama, Hell's Cereal gives you the marshmallows and the toasted oat flakes. Oh, and words. Lots of those, too. Pick up Hell's Cereal, very short stories fortified with essential syllables, wherever you'd like to get your books. Not cereal. Here's the thing about Minds of Minos. One thing that all these reviewers didn't mention is, this game is called Minds of Minos. Minos is an ancient Greek king. Nothing about this game screams ancient Greek mythology. There are no, there's no Minotaur, there's no King Minos, there's no gods coming down from Mount Olympus to do crap to people, usually impregnating them. No half-human, half-animal creatures running around. Maybe the monsters are, I guess, but they don't advertise that. All that aside, there is more going on in this game than simply uh, Pac-Man with robots, which is kind of what I expected when I you know, initially kind of surfaced, looked at the game, and said, yeah, I'll play that game for the show. There is some strategy involved, and there is some, some elements. The reviewers all mentioned it. I mentioned it in the field report. The flooding, at least in the game one, the flooding isn't a huge issue because it's really slow, but I would guess in other games it's more of a, a critical problem. I like using the time bombs as sort of a, a change from constantly hitting the... Mm-hmm the button to uh to fire lasers or whatever it's your basic atari maze that's fine it's a comfortable place to be i like having to build your own extra lives literally out of robot parts that's kind of cool i would spend more time with this game absolutely and as we all know that's how i rank games basically would i play this again space shuttle a couple weeks ago no probably not this game yes i would definitely pick this up and play it again so it must be a good game at least in my mind so, yay. Good job, Minds of Minos, non-mythology game. I left mythology behind in college anyway. But I didn't leave the Atari behind. And I'm going to stop there because my mind is wandering now. If you guys have thoughts about Minds of Minos or, what the heck, Greek mythology, you know where to find me. It's story time on Atari by Yes, it's story, 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 story time with Bill. This week's story is titled The Good, the Bad, and the Merely Here. The camera pushed in on Hosticus, child of the gods, born from a union between a deity and an SD card. Hosticus was imbued with the power to stream programming with a virility not even Zeus's own dark magic could match. Hosticus hosted a show beamed nightly into the subconscious of every wolf, bear, and human, and not just when they ravaged each other. The shows had unmatched power to stretch across the yawning chasms of of the diminished attention span. Hosticus leaned forward. Tell me again, he said. Ancient Greek king Lycastus nodded to himself a few times, deliberating. 
He shifted a bit, his face dark, nearer to tears than a king should be. I said, he began slowly. I said, I'm jealous of my son. And? Hosticus prompted. And my father, the king reluctantly said. Yes, Hosticus said. Let's talk about him, your father. King Minos was a good king. He was, King Lycastus said, teeth clenched and a bit bared like his insecurities. Praised for creating a system of laws, Hosticus said. Scored a street gig after his death as a judge of the dead in the underworld. I'm aware, Lycastus said. Hard act to follow, eh, King? Hosticus said. It... it can be, Lycastus acknowledged. But in my kingdom we... But Hosticus cut King Lycastus off to run an ad about sandal foot rot ointment. Bet on the air? Written in the constellations? Conveyed to the populace by anthropomorphic meals with the heads of ducks? However it happened, the show came back on. Hosticus immediately jumped to, So, your son is named Minos II. Minos also. Interesting. Minos is a respected name, Lycastus said. A powerful name. The name my father... The name your father should have given you, Hosticus said. Yes. Your son is a powerful ruler too, but different than your father. He has spread his seed liberally, bestowing upon us Androgeus, Ariadne, Phaedra, among others. He also gave us the Minotaur, somewhat less popular, but at least it dealt with the problem of how to, of what to do with all those extra teenagers just sitting around. He did, Lycastus acknowledged. People will remember the kings Minos I and Septon for centuries, Hosticus pressed. There will be poems, stories, plays, in remembrance of these mighty kings. The citizens remember the kings that lead them, that inspire them. Hosticus paused for the camera. You, you were king also, right? You know I was. Will people remember you? Of course, Lycastus said, though he didn't sound convinced. For what? Hosticus said. Well, King Lycastus said, sitting up straighter, more regally. He smoothed his tunic and said, Well, there was the time I... Well, then I... Uh, you see, it's not always about... Uh, look, there's a town named after me in Crete. Never been there, Hosticus said. <sighs> no one has. Hosticus assumed the form of a mocking hyena for just the briefest of moments before going on. I, Lycastus began again, before thinking better of whatever he was going to say. Forget it. No one will remember me. Might as well get used to it. Hosticus rose on flaming wings, swooped toward the camera, addressing the audience. That's the choice, isn't it? He said. The gods come down from Mount Olympus and sire the rulers of the populace, but they're just children. They don't ask to be kings, but kings they are. When called upon to rule, some embrace the power hand down to them to improve the lot of their subjects like Minos I. Others use the iron hand forged in the flame of the gods to nudge the populace to improve themselves or perish in their inadequacy, like Minos II. And still others allow the hand of the gods to push them into the dirt. Hosticus turned back toward Lycastus, who waved feebly. 
Well, your majesty, Hosticus said, here on the Royal Redo, our mission is, well, to avoid the underworld, but we'll say hi to your dad if we get there. Our mission instead is to help wherever we can, and we are here to help you as well. Can you... can you make me king again? Thunder rolled, wolves howled. Sorry, Hostkiss said with a sly grin. No do-overs. Well, except for Sisyphus. It's just as well, Lycastus said. I'd underperform yet again. Hostikus considered this. Underperform, he repeated. I wonder. What are you thinking? Lycastus said. Why do people care about the gods? Hostikus said. Because it's dangerous not to, Lycastus said. No, Hostikus challenged. They care because the gods tell us they're all-powerful. Careful, Lycastus said. The Minotaur isn't the only one with a maze. Most of us have never even seen the gods, Hostikus said, yet we know their power. I mean, also they can mash up bulls and people and whatnot. If you don't want to be forgotten, you need to make us remember you, Lycastus. How? Lycastus said. We need to show the world your kingness, Hostikus said. With a dramatic wave of Hostikus's hand, massive crickets appeared. They were sleeping, but still crickets. Such was their boredom that they cast themselves into the sea. Oh, that didn't work out like I planned, Hostikus said. I guess we have a lot of work to do. And so we shall, like King Lycastus said. Wow, you sounded almost king-like, Hostikus said. Almost. After the break, King Lycastus's royal rehab. An ad rolls then for the Mount Olympus Five and Dime. The ad features Dionysus staring into the camera saying, Look, I can tell you we've got a sale on olives, killer two-for-one deals, an Athenian god-impregnated me tests, all that crap. But it doesn't matter. We know that the only place you're going to shop is the Mount Olympus Five and Dime. A booming voice calls out from behind Dionysus as some glassware shatters. My bad. Dionysus sighs. Damn it, Zeus. As the royal redo show resumes, a massive curtain of snakes singing in harmony pulls away, revealing King Lycastus version 2.0. He sits atop a folding chair throne, strings of holiday lights coiling their way up the legs like Medusa's dew. Lycastus himself stares out over the horizon, dark-set eyes piercing below a paper fast-food restaurant crown. His thumbs finger the crimson lapels of his royal robe. Hostikus leans in the frame to snatch the Mount Olympus Five and Dime price tag off the sleeve. There he is, King Lycastus, Hostikus croons, the finest king to lead all us. Minos One and Minos Two can't do things only Lycastus can do. The royal redo was cancelled shortly thereafter. The Minotaur was satisfied, though. At least Lycastus knew one of the underworld judges. Hi, this is 8-Bit Rocket, Jeff Fulton, from the End of the Vertical Blank Generation Atari podcast. And you are listening to the incomparable William Pepper and his wonderful stories of the game within a game on the Atari Bytes podcast. When you are done here, come visit us in the Vertical Blank. Now, back to Bill. And that's our show. Thanks to Kevin McLeod and Incompetech.com for Creative Commons use of his songs, Reformat, Take a Chance, and Pinball Spring. 
Thanks to Sean Courtney for the Storytime theme and the Jason Says Stuff theme. Mine your way over to Apple Podcasts and leave a, and cast a five-star review to The Creatures Within. Email the show at ataribytes2016 at gmail.com, like the show on our Facebook page, follow the show on Twitter at ataribytes, or follow me personally at Carnival of Glee, and look us up on Instagram. You can call us, too. I'm not going to answer the phone, but I would be happy to get your voicemail at 563-265-1978, and I will play your message on the show. Check out the website, www.carnivalofgleecreations.com, for information and links and social media and whatnot for this show, Atari Bytes, or for my other show, the podcast, Charlie Brown, your monthly stop for all things in and around the Peanuts universe. The website also has information about books that I've written, including Hell Serial, very short stories fortified with central syllables, and links to just a few of the places that you can order those books if you are so inclined. Also remember, uh, whether it's the podcast or the books, that you go wherever, go back to wherever you got them and leave a review. Um, reviews help uh, stimulate the the tingly bits of the uh, websites and uh, encourage them to recommend the show or the books to other people, and that helps me out. So thank you for that. Speaking of helping me out, you can support the show over there at the Atari Bytes Patreon page on patreon.com. Link in the show notes. You can also, in a sense, hang out with these fine folks uh, in the Patreon, including... Michael Tyler, Jose Cazeta, Sean Courtney, M. West, Patrick McCarthy, Jeremy L., Jason Schiffman, Mark Super, and Jim Goble. Thanks to all of them. All right, what else is going on? I guess all that's left is to tell you next time on Atari Bytes. Montezuma's Revenge. Don't know what this game is. I saw the title somewhere and decided to play it. So that's what we're going to do next, uh, next time, not next week, but next time on the podcast. If you have thoughts about Montezuma's Revenge or anything else, let me know. So until next time, go play some old games. They've missed you. Oh, 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 oh,